I'm Dalton Dale, music enthusiast on a mission to learn about my favorite genre, heavy metal. Join me as I listen through and learn about the history of heavy metal music. We'll be talking about bands, albums, songs, and historical events that helped create the metal music genre as we know it today. This is The Evolution Podcast. Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome back to the Evolution Podcast, or for those of you joining the first time, welcome to the Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Dale. I'm excited to be here with you guys today and just chat. For those of you that are tuning in for the first time, make sure to go find me on socials. Facebook, TikTok are two places you can find me that I'm the most active. I put videos up. You can find me on YouTube as well. All of these podcasts are video podcasts, so you can find them there and watch and see this mug talking to you. I mean, I guess not to you, talking at you. It is more of a monologue in that you don't have the opportunity to really interact or engage with me via the podcast. However, you can find me on socials and you can tell me all the things I'm doing wrong or saying wrong about the bands you love because it's going to happen and it has happened and I have been told that I'm wrong and that's okay because I'm learning. I'm going through this journey for the first time and I'm most likely listening and learning about bands that at one point in time you knew nothing about. So enlighten me, share your thoughts with me share the most intimate knowledge that you have with me about the bands that you love. It would be really helpful to me, and honestly, it's uh, really quite cool to talk to people who do love the bands that I'm listening to to get their perspective because there's a lot of these that I'm listening to that don't stick for me because it's just not what I like or it's just not what I listen to normally, and there's a lot of bands that I probably am going to hear once and I may not ever go back to, but some of those bands may be bands that drastically change the course of your life. They may be bands that drastically change the course of the music that you listen to. I've, I've talked about it a few times and my dad said that that band was Twisted Sister. He said the moment he heard Twisted Sister, he said, I'm listening to the wrong shit. I need to be listening to something different than all the crap that's on the radio, like Madonna and all that stuff that was popular back then. And he shifted, he pivoted. And you know what? I'm so thankful for that because I wouldn't listen to what I listen to today if it wasn't for Twisted Sister, if it wasn't for my dad finding and listening to Twisted Sister and hearing about all of these other bands that came along with it. So, there's my intro. I hope it was interesting. Let's recap the timeline for those of you just jumping in. So, going through the journey of listening to heavy metal and learning about the history of heavy metal, and really, I'm predominantly working through album by album for specific periods of time throughout heavy metal history. And currently, we're about to embark on the power metal train ship. I don't know what sounds more power metal. Uh, Ship, maybe, I think, is probably the best uh, thing there. But 
Prior to that, we were really digging into early uh, heavy metal bands that were dipping their toes into heavy metal, proto-metal, Black Sabbath, and then you get into the new wave of British heavy metal, which was in the late 70s, and it was just this sort of uh, awakening of music from bands like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Def Leppard and Motorhead, all of these bands that infamous in heavy metal history. Heavy metal quickly infiltrates the United States, and then the Americans decide to put their own spin on it, and you get bands like Rat and Motley Crue and Twisted Sister and Van Halen, again, all bands that are legendary in the history of rock and roll and heavy metal. And then something happens in the early 80s, close to mid-80s, where all of a sudden... There's a really, really young generation who has discovered New Wave of British Heavy Metal. They have jumped on board with American Heavy Metal, and then they crave something more. They say, this can be better. This can be different. This can be even more diverse than it already is. And to me, that is where heavy metal really starts to branch out and you get away from this sort of singular path that we've been on and you start to di diverge and, and, and branch and root out. There's, there's like a bajillion different, uh, you know, little metaphors I can use here, but <clears throat> you get the idea that, you know, it starts going off in these different directions and You've got American heavy metal and European heavy metal and all the bands that kind of encompassed in those different areas. And there was bands in America and in L.A. that found riches and fame through MTV. And then, you know, eventually Headbangers Ball becomes its own show and it's a heavy metal centric show, which was unheard of at the time. It was tape trading and magazines and those sorts of things that really got heavy metal bands all the noise and 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 all of the the attention that they had gotten up to that point or it was touring relentlessly and giving out as many demo tapes as you possibly could or you had bands that followed in the footsteps of Venom or Raven and those European bands and they didn't want to sacrifice their sound for fame and freedom and while those bands now have become really, really popular amongst heavy metal purists. Those are bands that were not particularly popular in their time. And <clears throat> then there were bands that stayed the course. There were bands like Metallica who stuck to their guns and they broke through to the mainstream on sheer determination and talent. And to me, this is a really fascinating time for heavy metal because there's this breakaway of the younger crowd who, again, they want to see something different. They want to hear something different. They want to play something different than the new wave of British heavy metal giants or the American heavy metal giants who, you know, I either A, didn't want to change, they didn't want to evolve their sound, and they wanted to stick to what had gotten them on the map in the first place, or with the likes of some of the more popular American heavy metal bands, sort of became a slave to the game. And their sound softened. Or 
it became more commercially friendly is maybe a less harsh way to say it. And they weren't, it wasn't always just because it was about the money. It was just that they had set out to do something and, you know, record labels and MTV and, you know, all of these things afforded them to do those things. And, you know, there's a lot of arguments to be said for, is that selling out? Is it not selling out? I guess it just depends on what your goal was when you started. The reality is, is that some bands start because they want to make money making music. And if they can combine the two, they're going to do it. Quite frankly, who among us wouldn't want to make money doing what we love, doing what we're passionate about? I mean, there's not really anybody who wouldn't say, yes, if I sign me up, if I could, you know, if I could make money doing this, if I could make a living doing this and only this, I would, it would, it would be fun. I talk a lot. I enjoy learning and it's really fun to engage and interact with people. I, and I just don't think that that's selling out per se, you know, I think that if your motive is, you know, really that you don't care about your art and you are just doing it because it brings a buck to me, that's, that's more selling out. You don't, you don't really care about the end product so much, but I think there's a lot of bands out there that can put out a really quality end product that they're happy with and that they're pleased with and also make a living. And that's really freaking cool. And it just so happens there was a lot of bands that did that. And then there's a lot of bands that didn't do that or couldn't do that. Or the record labels took advantage of them because let's be honest, this was sort of a wild, wild west time for record labels and artists. And quite frankly, it's really not any better today, especially now that the name of the game is streaming and, and you've got the giants like Spotify and iTunes and YouTube, and you know, some of them pay better than others. And if you're really big, like your Taylor Swift's, your Metallica's, your mega pop artists, you know, you're going to do just fine and you're going to make plenty of money that way. But for the small local bands, for the, you know, small regionally touring bands, hell, even some of the bands that I grew up with that are big in the scene that I grew up with, don't, that's not how they make their money. You know, they've had to diversify. They, they've they had to make podcasts like this, or they make money from merch and things like that. So there's just a lot to be said for how musicians need to make a living, and you know, I, I don't blame them. Enough of my soapbox about that. That's just where we are in the timeline. We're in this early eighties period where we're going to really start to diverge off. And specifically right now, I'm going to set sail on the ship that is power metal. And we're going to talk bands like except we're going to talk bands like Jag Panzer. We're going to talk bands like Anvil. We're going to talk bands like a little bit of Anthrax maybe, and maybe some more Metallica and, you know, we're going to get into those and we're going to talk about how they influence power metal, how they influence heavy metal as a whole, because some of these bands didn't just do something for power metal specifically. A lot of these bands did a lot for heavy metal as a whole. And that's a big part of what this journey is about is how do I how do I go and understand 
the the music that I listen to today, you know, the 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 Polaris, the Silent Planet, the Under Oath, the Dance Gavin Dance, the Emery, the Norman Jean, the Bring Me the Horizon, you know, I could name a, a hundred more metal bands, Knocked Loose, uh, Grey Haven. I mean, there's so many bands that I listen to on any given day, any given week, and especially over time. How did those bands get to where they are? And what was it that inspired them to do what they do? My hope is, is that over time, I might have the opportunity to talk to some of those bands. I think that would be really cool. If there's any of you out there that are in a band, have a connection with a band, have toured with a band, have been heavily influenced by any of this stuff, reach out to me because I would love to chat with you about the impact of this to your life. For now, I'm 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 learning about it to understand why what I love and listen to today, why is it the way that it is? What made it what it is, you know? And so today we're going to talk about the band Warlock. I have never heard of this band before this, but I sent a list of bands to my dad and I said, hey, pick one and and I'm going to listen to it. And, you know, there was several, there was a handful of bands on that list that I had heard of and he picked the freaking one that I hadn't heard of. And he has just been such a wealth of knowledge for me, a wealth of resources for me. And honestly, he has been a big part to what has helped continue to inspire me to keep doing this because again, some of the stuff that he knows about, some of the stuff that's impacted him personally has been really fascinating to me and it's been really cool, but he picked Warlock burning the witches that's the album that we're talking today and again never heard of this band ever and i started looking into this band and i started looking into the lead vocalist and holy smokes like there's there's just there's a lot to be said so without further ado let's get in with some quick hits number one doro pesh uh dorothy i think is her full name but she goes by doro She's the lead vocalist, and she is known as the Metal Queen. Again, I this makes me feel like I know nothing about heavy metal, and quite maybe I don't. But Metal Queen—that's that's her. That's like multiple resources came up with that. This wasn't just some random Wikipedia thing that somebody typed in one day and was like, oh, "This would be funny." No, like legitimately, her career. Her time spent leading Warlock as well as a couple of other bands prior to Warlock. Like, she has had so much influence on the metal scene. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, only briefly, because quite frankly, I feel like I need to do a whole podcast on her. Number two, on their debut full length, Burning the Witches, they shared a record label with the band Steeler. Steeler was featured on my video for the Metal Massacre compilation that put Metallica on the map. Now, I only vaguely remember the Steeler song, and it was just okay. But it's interesting how uh, a record label could get a band like Steeler onto a compilation like that, and uh, not a band like Warlock, who ends up like developing the Metal Queen. Uh, it's interesting to me. Number three, Burning the Witches. The entire album was recorded in only six days. Now, admittedly, it is pretty challenging to find any information about the album beyond what I found on Wikipedia, actually. Um, 
I, I did quite a bit of digging into the band and scoured through some different articles about the band and Doro and all of that. And it was just, so, it was just difficult to find about the, the, the album information about the album. And so it made it kind of challenging, but that was one thing that I found and was my third quick hit for the day on Warlock burning the witches. So let's dig into Warlock specifically a little bit just as a band, and then I'll get into the album after that. So they were founded in 1982. Uh, there were a mix of members from a couple of underground German bands, uh, Beast and Snakebite. Snakebite was one of the bands that Doro fronted before she formed Warlock. Warlock, unfortunately, after they founded, they went through a couple of different lineup changes. They finally recorded Burning the Witches, and they ended up doing a couple other full-length albums. But uh, as with most groups at the time, they were stricken with member changes and ultimately had to disband because of those member changes and poor support from their record label. I had read that they booked a tour with Steeler, their label mate, as I mentioned earlier, and unfortunately the label just did a really poor job planning it and financing it, and it ended up, it didn't go through, and ultimately, the first record just, it just never really took off commercially. And, you know, when you start as a band that way, things just generally aren't going to go that well for you. But uh, as I mentioned, they were fronted by Doro Pesh. You know, her contributions to the metal community lasted decades. And she's put out several, like in the teens of, of full-length albums under the name Doro. And she, when I just did a quick Google search on her, she was on, I I can't even tell you how many lists uh, from various websites and, 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 you know, metal websites, rock and roll websites, a variety of websites as one of the top female vocalists that had uh, such a huge impact on rock and roll and heavy metal. She was on lists with people like Janis Joplin and Stevie Nicks and Tina Turner and Pat Benatar, like heavy hitters, right? Again, I still, I don't know. I guess I just, I just don't know as much as I thought I know. I I mean, you know, I don't know. I recognize a lot of names on these lists, but this really was eye-opening for me because this is a such a, you know, the, the band again immediately recognized by my dad, and it was the it, like within seconds that was the recommendation that he gave. But also then to go look up their vocalist and realize that she is like a a freaking god in the heavy metal community, and that's just crazy to me because you you hear about you know like Nita Strauss and and you know people like that in the heavy metal community, but. And and now more you know more modernly, it's you know the vocalist from Ginger or uh, there's uh, Amy Lee from Evanescence or you know Maria Brink from In This Moment. I mean those are the female heavy metal vocalists, heavy hitters now. I guess I I I tried to find some interviews with some of them to see if they ever mentioned Doro, but you know again she was just it was list after list after list. I mean Rob Halver even Rob. Halford even cited her as one of his top favorite vocalists of all time. And Rob Halford is, I mean, come on. How did I not know this? Anyways, it's just a reminder. This is why I'm doing this. I'm, I'm learning. I am learning. And that's okay. Doro was a powerhouse of a vocalist, but unfortunately she just couldn't keep members around her 
and eventually Warlock disbanded. And she moved on under the name Doro uh, with other band members around her and just kind of continued that way. And she she didn't want to keep the Warlock name because it was causing a lot of legal trouble amongst previous bandmates as well as the record labels. So she just continued under Doro. But female vocalists in this time were not uncommon. You know, if you followed the new wave of British heavy metal and classic heavy metal, high range vocals were a really key factor to what heavy metal was in the beginning. It, it, you know, modern heavy metal heads tend to think of heavy metal as with more harsh vocals and screaming vocals, but really classic heavy metal features no harsh vocals, no screaming vocals of any kind. Like Lemmy and, and, and Hetfield are like as harsh as it gets for classic heavy metal, but a lot of it was really upper register singing. And so it made it uh, a little bit easier for female vocalists to break into heavy metal mainstream because they had a natural upper range. There were so many bands that broke into the commercial heavy metal mainstream in the 80s that, you know, I as I was going through and learning and reading my book this last week, I'm going to do a whole section just on female bands because there was a whole series of bands, not with just female vocalists at the front, but just fem all female bands like girls school or, you know, bands like that, but all female bands or just female instrumentalists in bands that were really popular. And I definitely intend to go through and cover a whole section about female bands because there is a lot of history there and it is not as male dominated as what most people would lead you to believe and by most people i mean most heavy metal gatekeepers like white dudes who don't like women and it's stupid but you know thankfully there are people out there who will talk about it and will talk through how impactful the female community was in heavy metal at the time let's jump into the album burning the witches uh, I'm just going to go through and I'm going to talk through some of the songs and just, you know, give an overall review of the album, but I don't want to get into great detail about it. I want you to go listen to it and I want you to learn and listen for yourself. Overall, the lyrical content is pretty typical power metal. Now, power metal, as I mentioned last week, is featured sort of fantastical lyricism like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and, and, and you know, there was a lot of mystical elements to it or, um, you know, spiritual elements to it, a lot of references to Satan or, you know, heaven and hell and, and things like that, right? And a lot of that was popularized by Dio. Dio was really famous for that when he was in Rainbow and then even whenever he carried over into Black Sabbath and he started bringing in a lot of those sort of, uh, you know, elements into the Black Sabbath lyrics. But that is a big piece to what power metal was as a whole was the overall lyrical content. They stayed away from things like political, you know, content or, you know, there was a lot of the typical sex, drugs and rock and roll from bands like Motley Crue and, and Megadeth and things like that. And, you know, then there was just a lot of different means of, uh, of topics and things that bands would communicate about when it came to writing their lyrics and power metal specifically just focused on more of the mystical, the fantastical side of things. And, and especially, you know, in the eighties, this became really pop seventies, eighties, it became really popular with the emergence of dungeons and dragons and all of that. And so 
I think that um, this album sits right in line with that because almost every single song, there's just a lot of references to darkness and spirituality, apocalyptic times, demons, a Satan, and, and and even more. And you know, there's just a there's a reference to these sort of heavy metal characters and their trials and challenges. And overall, I feel like it sits in that niche really, really well. Um, just jump through some of the songs. I mean, after the bomb second song in the album, it, by far it has the catchiest riff on the whole album. It was stuck in my head quite a bit when I was listening to it over the last week, dark fade after that, there's a, like a Metallica like riff to the song. And they, at one point they cut into the pre-chorus with this like cut time section. In fact, the, my, the first listen through, I got to this song and it hit this cut time section and I just, it just had a groove to it. You know, it was just one of those that was like, Ooh, yeah, you know, make you, make you shake your head a little bit and, um, super, super heavy sounding. And then at like two minutes and 12 seconds, I made a note, uh, tonight, actually, as I was listening to, to get ready for this, there's this like metalcore sounding riff that drives the whole bridge of that song. And, you know, again, thinking about bands to come and, 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 and sounds to come, uh, to me, that was uh, noteworthy for that song. Homicide Rocker, this to me, it's a very heavy, American heavy metal sounding song. There's a sort of bounciness to it that to me, it was, that was something that was really present in a lot of American heavy metal was a sort of bounce or a, uh, not a groove, like literally like a bounce. Like uh, I, you'd have to hear it, go listen to it, but it was really present on a lot of like Twisted Sister and Motley Crue and a lot of those other LA hair bands. Uh, Without You is a ballad that could stand toe-to-toe with any heavy metal ballad in, out from the 80s. I, like, Doro's vocals absolutely soar, and she just showcases what she's capable of, and it's very simple for the band. Um, there's a lot of really good build-up moments that kind of build into these more powerful moments, and it's a sort of a, a song about heartache and heartbreak, but it, it definitely it can hold its own amongst any other heavy metal ballad out there. Burning the Witches, the riff and the overall sound reminds me a little bit of Motley Crue. Then there's Hateful Guy. To me, I saw Wasp back in November. I haven't listened to a lot of Wasp, but uh, they're they're gonna we'll get to them. Um, but this song sounds to me like it could be straight from a Wasp album. I have listened to a little bit of them before I went to the concert. And just from what I remember about the concert, I mean, this song feels like it could go right into it. There's a really cool uh, stereo guitar effect at the beginning that caught my attention. I, I think I th- it's really fascinating to me when I hear... Um, when I hear effects like that on these old productions, because this was not, there was no digital. I mean, this was, everything was analog. You just, you, what you hear is what was played. And so then how they end up using the different equipment to uh, kind of accomplish these different effects is super cool to me, but it definitely has this really cool stereo uh, guitar back and forth where you get the left and the right. And it's just, it's just a straight, no riff, it's just gent, 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 but it bounces between the left and right, and it, it was really cool sounding. Um, there's a double kick section of the drums at a minute 40, and it just adds like this nice layer to the sound. It, it takes it from this sort of, you know, what's through the 
you know, most of the song is a pretty straightforward power metal song and then adds this double kick and it sort of, you know, gives a little quick shift in the overall feel of the song. And, um, you know, it goes on and it closes out. And uh, honestly, like, it was a really fun listen. Um, there was, you know, a lot of a lot of moments in the in the album that that I enjoyed quite a bit. There was a lot of uh, vocal moments that were really really great. It, it was easy to see why Doro ended up making such a big impact in the heavy metal community. And uh, yeah, overall, I mean, I I had a good time listening to it. I I think it's worth the listen, and it I can see why it would make a list of of albums that you know, were quintessential power metal, again, from the thematic elements to the lyrics to the to the musicality of it to the vocals that Doro presented. I feel like it definitely sits in that niche very, very well. They're one of the most talented bands I've listened to in a while, um, and it's a shame that there were so many lineup changes that, you know, ultimately forced them to to pivot and, and Doro to pivot to discontinue the band Warlock because it would have been really cool to you know, see, see what else they could have done. They have a, cu- a couple other albums. And so maybe at some point I'll come back and I'll check those out. And then again, at some point, I, I feel like I'm gonna have to do a whole freaking podcast on Doro at, at some point and just learn about her because I mean, she just freaking metal queen. I mean, do I need to say anything else? Warlock, Burning the Witches. I uh, came out in 1984. I don't feel like I mentioned that um 1984 so you know again we're sitting right early to mid 80s here with a lot of the stuff that we're listening to so uh go check it out you can find it on the heavy metal history playlist on spotify it's been a few weeks since i tagged that um you can just search for me dalton a dale on spotify go to my playlist you can find heavy metal history it's got every album that i have listened to through this process all the way back to the very first Black Sabbath album that I listened to. So go check it out. Follow that playlist. You can kind of see the stuff I'm adding and get a little preview of what I'm listening to before I record. Go find me on socials, The Evolution Podcast on Facebook. You can also find me on TikTok. I post little snips of the videos uh, there and on Reels, as well as on YouTube. But uh, TikTok, Evolution Pod, at Evolution Pod. And YouTube, the Evolution Podcast. I've got all the podcasts as videos that you can watch. They're all grouped together in a little uh, playlist for videos if you want to see the video versions of the podcast. Um, share and spread the word. Spread spread the gospel of the Evolution Podcast. Tell your friends. And, um, you know, let's crank those rookie numbers. Let's crank those up. Let's get up to 200 listens, dog. We're almost to 30 followers on Spotify. I think I've got like six followers on Apple Podcasts. Let's crank those up. Tell all your friends. Share it. Seriously, if you see anything on Facebook, just like a quick share is really, really helpful. And then also anywhere you listen to this, leave a five-star review. Even if it sucks, if you, if this is your first time listening and you hate it, give me five stars for how bad I was, right? Like points on a driver's license, they're not good. Give me five stars. Um, and if you love it, give me five stars and tell me you love it. Either way, I don't care. Five stars. It makes a difference. It gets you in the rankings. It gets you on those playlists that Spotify features and Apple features and Amazon and all those podcast platforms. That's how it happens. The reviews, five-star reviews that I mentioned, 
or ask you to leave a five-star review. Please do. That is all for today's episode. Much like my intros, I don't ever know how to close this out, so I'm just going to leave it at that. I hope you all have a wonderful week. We will see you next time on the Hevolution Podcast. Goodbye.